Welcome to Radio KAL, the Superman podcast brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. This is show number 136, released on April 27th, 2016. Proudly sponsored by our good friend and Superman fan, Patrick O'Neill. My name is Steve Eunice, and I'm joined by my good friend, Scotty V. Hey, Scotty. Hey, Steve. What's happening? Not too much. Uh, it seems like things have quietened down a little bit after all the hubbub of uh, Batman v Superman being released to the cinema and the theatre, and it's just kind of, it's, you know, the news cycle kind of slowed down a little bit. It doesn't seem to be as much to report on. Yeah, I guess a bit of disappointment over the kind of not great you know receiving of the film by mm. uh both general audiences and critics alike of course worse from the critic standpoint if you go by rotten tomatoes which i suppose collects all of the critical reviews and has come back with like a 28 or something like that which is funny because the fan response from what i've seen or at some of those ratings type sites is like 75 percent in the positive for the fans yet the, the critics panned it as you say yeah i went there today and um it's like 68% mm-hmm. for audience, right? which could be fans or just could be general, general audience public, people, yeah. and then it's uh, lower, much lower for the critical reviews. I think that there's – there has been talk of like a political payola type of thing going on between Marvel and the critics and people getting paid off or something. I don't know how possible that is, but what I do think honestly is that people have been kind of taught – how superhero films are supposed to feel by Marvel over the last 10 years. So when a movie doesn't feel that way to them, uh, then they, they they don't receive it all that well. And I have to admit myself, uh, seeing Man of Steel and seeing uh, The Dawn of Justice, I had to see them a second time before I was certain how I felt about them. Mm. They both neither really leave you with an up kind of feeling. They're, they're both kind of difficult to take at times mm-hmm. in their darkness and in their depressing kind of feel. Mm. So I think that's really what's affecting people. Human beings are affected on an emotional level they might not even know about. And when it's so depressing and, and really not uplifting or happy or, uh, or good news for anybody in the film, uh, you, I think you can tend to take out your, your, your disappointment on how you felt by the movie and take it out on it being a bad movie as Mm. opposed to understanding that it's supposed to feel differently. It's supposed to feel heavier. It's supposed to feel darker and more serious, which a lot of people don't like. And it hurts, I think, your review and your feelings on the movie when you see it and it doesn't make you feel the way a Marvel film does where generally they all seem to end very happy with jokes being thrown around and that sort of thing. Mm, It's interesting because if you think about it in the Star Wars um, trilogy of films, the originals I'm talking about, uh, the end of uh, Empire Strikes Back isn't a very happy ending at all. You know, Luke's lost his hand. Um, it's all kind of a bit dour, but it's also obviously setting up for what's to come in uh, The Return of the Jedi. And uh, I guess The Dawn of Justice is similar in that way in that, yes, Superman's dead at the end and you're not sure what's happening, but there is obviously things to, to come. And so it's setting up for what we're going get, to get in Justice League. Uh, so it is interesting in that it's um, not a standalone film. It's obviously the you know the prequel to what's about to come in the Justice League films. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it, and I think it, I think if you see it a couple of times, there's a lot more that obviously isn't written out. And I've read mm. uh, critics seem to have a problem with. I don't follow filmmakers 
in terms of what they're supposed to do or how they put a film together. I go to a movie and maybe later on I find out who directed it. Generally, if it's Steven Spielberg or something, you kind of hear about it in a heavy way before you even go. But in general, I don't know what Zack Snyder does or doesn't do. I just know the ones I've seen that I've enjoyed. Mm. Uh, But from what I've heard, he's a guy who just puts stuff out there and doesn't really go way out of his way to explain things. And Mm -hmm. he just kind of expects you to either get it or think about it or not get it or whatever and and, and doesn't take any of that into account. And doesn't on the one hand, I, I, I think that's good because you can interpret and you can talk about it later. Yeah. And people are still talking about why did this happen? Why did that happen? What did that mean? What's going on? As opposed to just saying, well, clearly this guy's good, this guy's bad, the end. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I think, uh, you know, and I think that that apparently is something the critics – aren't appreciative of from Snyder, the idea that he doesn't really tell you everything. He has, yeah, spoon feed. Yeah. Uh, he just has these things there and you're supposed to figure, you know, think what you will about them. Yeah, and I guess I don't think, uh, you know, critics aren't used to having such depth in a comic book film as such. You know, they're, you know, they're used to being them, you know, here's the good guy, here's the bad guy, good guy, you know, gets defeated, comes back, beats the bad guy, and hooray, everybody's happy. You know, that's not obviously what this film was about. And you mentioned some of the lingering questions that, you know, fans have about the movie. They come out discussing them. We spoke in depth last episode of our podcast about the film. We went through it pretty thoroughly. Um, but uh, you still had some questions that you would like to, to discuss. Well, my thinking on this was, and, and I can make up things, and, and as we were just saying, maybe that's what Zack Snyder wants me to do. Mm. A lot of times I hear about the biggest thing that seems to be negative uh, for critics with him is that his editing is really bad. He's a very bad editor. He's great visually. He's great story-wise sometimes, but um, at least visually visually showing you a story, but his editing is bad. And I, I don't really, again, study editing or know what editing should be, but I did feel like – And maybe it was purposely done and maybe it made more sense to you. So maybe you can shed some light on it in a different way than I have thought. But I feel like it would have worked better when Batman says he'll take care of Martha. You got to go do this. If if we knew there was real danger that only Superman could handle, which we didn't know yet because Doomsday wasn't created yet. uh, Superman then goes there and stands there and watches Lex finish the whole experiment, lets it happen, waits, doesn't do anything, kind of looks smug. And Batman has already saved Martha, Batman who can't move faster than Superman, doesn't even know where she is and has to find her somewhere. Superman flies across the island and is right over there, and yet they showed those two sequences in opposite order from where I think they should have been shown. So my question is, what reason would an editor or a filmmaker have, other than Batman's cooler, have to show us Batman save Martha first as opposed to – he goes off to save Martha, and and Superman goes and does what he has to do. Meanwhile, we see Superman couldn't save Martha because he was flying Doomsday out into space. It seems like that would have been a better order. Hmm. Yeah, it didn't really um, occur to me at the time that there was any issue about why you know uh, Batman was saving Martha at that time, and yet Superman hadn't. Yeah, it didn't. It, it, I, watching the film there and then, and, I've, and I admittedly I have only seen it once, and that was at the premiere in New York. I haven't had a chance or an opportunity to see it again. But um, at the time, it didn't occur to me that there was any pacing issue or any you know uh, timing issue in regards to uh, that particular thing. Um, I guess um, you know I kind of had the feeling in the back of my mind, you know, Superman having to confront Lex about whatever you know what he's doing. 
um, is, you know, a necessary thing that Batman wouldn't be able to do. But, yeah, I, I'd have to watch it again to see if there was, you know, um, a disjointedness, if you like, in the order of things. I think that there should have been an explosion or the creature should have been out already. And Superman said, I got to go. I'll was the lightning Martha. happening at the and time? Then, was all that kind of uh, stuff happening with, you know... That... Well, power was being drained from the city. Right. And Lois says the ship seems to be drawing power. And he says, Martha needs me. And Batman says, I'll save Martha. I make you a promise she won't die. Okay, and so he just you nods his head. What's going on so my thinking was when he nods his head and agrees, he should fly off immediately. There shouldn't be any more talking. There shouldn't be anything else. He should fly off to the island. And and that should be what we see first because that's most important. He's not saving his mother because it's more important that he gets out there to find out what's going on. Mm. Then when he does get out there, and we've already seen Batman save Martha, the slower individual, the person who wouldn't have been able to find her that quickly, we've already seen that happen. When Superman gets there, he talks to Lex for a while. So he didn't save Martha in order to talk to Lex, have a conversation while nothing really was happening. So there wasn't a lot of, I get it, there was power being pulled so something might happen, but something yet hadn't happened. And then when Superman goes there, he just kind of stands there a while while Lex pontificates and then then lets the creature out. Then he saves Lex's life because the creature would have killed Lex. Then the battle begins. Uh, I just feel like the order – I feel like if those were reversed to me, it would have made a lot more sense. Mm, interesting. I'd have to watch it again to, to have a look at it. and Maybe Superman's stalling for Batman to give Batman an opportunity to save Martha. I don't know. Um, but we already saw her say that would oh, make okay. sense too if they right. showed it the other way but we already saw that she's fine now sometimes when you watch a movie you have to understand that one thing's happening at the same time yeah. as the other but they can only show you one at a time correct but I still would have I think shown the them other way in, around in the other direction but yeah. you know it is what uh, it is I, you know, <laughs> right exactly <laughs> so um, yeah there was that um, do you think, and, and I, I certainly do, do you think that this in this entire thing, for, for me it's the only thing that makes sense, and I've heard a lot of people say, well, Lex didn't know that Batman was going to win against Superman. No, he didn't, and that's why he has the Doomsday Contingency, but he's trying to destroy Superman's reputation first, mm-hmm. and if that doesn't work, he's got the kryptonite, and I believe his entire plan from the beginning was for Batman to discover it, steal it from him, use it on Superman. And yeah. some people are saying, well, he only tries to kill Super Batman because he's mad that Batman stole the kryptonite. I don't think he's mad at all. I think that was his exact plan. I think he planned for Batman to steal it because he set up Batman to be so angry and then put it out there so publicly that he was going to have this kryptonite. And uh, I think he, you know, he already knows Bruce is Batman. We mm-hmm. don't see that, so people no. were angry about that. But he clearly knows what Batman does. He clearly knows that Bruce is tracking him down, and he kind of puts it out there for Batman to be detective-y and find him and then get the kryptonite. And mm. he kind of smirks when it works. When when he realizes that the kryptonite is gone, when he looks up at the camera, there's kind of a smile on Lex's face. It doesn't look like anger to me. It looks like he he got what he wanted. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Lex in this movie is that he's such a master manipulator that he's got so many different contingencies in place and so many different threads out there that he's playing that you're not really always sure exactly where he's going or, you know, what his uh, ultimate goal is. You, you just know that he's manipulating everyone in, in, in such a way that it's not necessarily always clear to the viewer what his ultimate plan is or whether or not 
something that happened was within his plan or, you know, was the actual, the result that he was looking for. It's, it's played so well that it's, um, that, you know, it is kind of uh, a bit up in the air. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that Lex was just so ingenious at the way he, he manipulated things that, yeah, he knew Batman was on the tail of this and he knew that it's Bruce Wayne and yeah, why is he, why did he want, does he want Batman and Superman to fight? Well, just because he's a bit maniacal, he's just he's that's his thing. He he wants to use other people as his toys and pit them against each other and be the top dog. You know, he doesn't think that Superman should exist. He hates the fact that someone like Superman exists in the world. And Bruce Wayne is one of his competitors. And if he can get an upper hand on him in whatever uh, possibility you know and shape that they can take form, then he's gonna he's gonna use that to his to his advantage. So. Um, you know, he's he's just kind of like a, a a crazy kid playing with all these toys that are at his disposal. And if Superman does what he wants him to do and take, removes Batman's head, then he wins on both fronts because yeah. now Superman's a murderer directly, has torn exactly. someone's head off, and Batman's dead. So he doesn't have either of those people. He knows Batman's on his tail, and even if he put this in place – he knows that at some point Batman might get him doing something he didn't want him to know or find out – you know, Batman's mm. a trouble. Batman's a problem. Yeah. So if he can get – if Superman kills him, then that problem's over and then Doomsday finishes the job. Superman's already been weakened by the kryptonite, so probably that plan works. The only thing he didn't do, and, and, and this has been a question, and I had it myself, but it's also been one of those critical things that people are annoyed with, is plan for what happens when Doomsday does kill Superman, because now you have Doomsday on the loose, and it doesn't seem like Lex Luthor would want to destroy the world or kill every human being on the planet. I don't get that impression. I get the impression that he doesn't mind killing people if they're in his way or if he needs to use them. Uh, but what uh, what do you think he would have done had Doomsday not been destroyed? Because it, it, Doomsday would have killed him right then and there if Superman wasn't there. And now Doomsday's loose. All the heroes are dead and there's only Doomsday. Now what? Yeah, well, I think Lex has some kind of control over Doomsday, seeing that it's got his DNA and that, and he says to, like, he kind of directs Doomsday to, to attack Superman, kind of, you know, if I recall correctly. Um, so whether or not he's got a contingency, a kill switch of some kind that, you know, he has the ability then to manipulate or control Doomsday, I'm not sure, but it's never explained. But you kind of got the, I mean, why didn't Doomsday attack Lex immediately. He, he does. Didn't... He does attack Lex. The first thing he does when he breaks out of the skin that's covering him is uh, launch himself at Lex, and Superman grabs him and stops him. Oh, okay. Well, so like, that, yeah. that's why it's a question. If that hadn't happened, if Lex you know, looked at him and said, get him, and Doomsday went right at Superman, um, uh, maybe he was still in a stupor and didn't yet completely realize he was awake yet, and he mm. attacked Lex out of uh, instinct. But uh, it's not very clear, and that may be another situation where people are saying so much happens in this movie. There's so much mayhem. It's really a lot of effects and not that great at telling us what we're looking at or why it's happening the way it is. But mm. it was interesting to me that uh, it, should Doomsday win, unless Lex has something in place to stop him, um, the kryptonite's gone except for the, the little sliver, I guess, that he had to use on um, – Zod, mm. and now he's got this. And even if he had kryptonite, how's he going to catch up to this rampaging monster and and, and stop it? So that yeah. that was that was a thought uh, that I uh, wondered. 
Yeah, no, but, interesting question, and um, it'll be interesting once the Blu-ray DVD combo comes out. If there is a uh, like a um, commentary track on it to to hear some of these things, um, it, it's a shame also that there's no uh, novelization of the of the script. Uh, that's always a very big insight into the movie. I remember with Man of Steel, there are quite a few things that we learnt from the novelization of the film. Um, that uh, weren't necessarily explained in the in the movie, and uh, it would be interesting to to get that, or to get an interview with Chris Terrio, or you know uh, Goya, or whoever you know, uh, to talk about the script and some of those kind of plot holes or unanswered questions that are um, you know lingering in people's minds. I fully realize that there's purposefully a ton of unanswered questions. I'm mm. not sure how far they're going to go. I don't expect Jesse Eisenberg would agree to appear again in any of these movies based on his personality and the things he's said in the past. But uh, who knows what they signed him to or what they might get him agreed to. You know, for Lex to come back in Justice League just to be the soothsayer for Darkseid or something like that, I just don't know that uh, Jesse Eisenberg would be willing to be that. And it seems like... He loses control of his mind toward the end there, and I've heard people say, and it, it it's 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 always confounding to me that people can't see what I can see, and 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 maybe I just want to see things and they don't, or or maybe they're there, or maybe they aren't. But as you said, in this movie, Lex is a master manipulator, and to me, whether he's a Donald Trump businessman or whether he's um, a, a, a nasty, uh, mad doctor scientist type of thing, you know, these are things Lex has been in his history. He's always been at his best when he is the master manipulator, the one who plans. On Lois and Clark, for instance, he always had things going on under the covers, mm -hmm. things that no one could see. Superman found out in the very first episode, but he had no proof. So Lex was able to keep going because he had no way to prove that, Le that Lex was the one who was doing these things. In this movie, Lex kind of gives himself up right off the bat and, and, and has Superman come to the roof and throws Lois off and – if his plan fails, Lex is going to jail, and we and that happens. Uh, we don't see Lex kind of do things undercover and stay in power for very long. So now we have a Lex that's in jail and is either going to be used as Darkseid's kind of uh, mind-controlled being that tells people that he's coming, which seems to be what happens at the end. And I remember there was a comic book story where Lex Luthor himself had an Omega symbol burned into his forehead and where he was babbling on and drooling at the mouth and saying he was coming and that sort of thing. So the other thing I hear is that Zack Snyder's only read one comic book and it's The Dark Knight Returns and that's neither of these characters are that. And I agree to an extent that these characters aren't generally th those renditions of the character. But I also think he didn't tell that story. I think he used some of the ideas visually. Mm. And really that's about all. Uh, but I also think it seems to me that he's going the soothsayer route uh, with Lex at the end there. And, and people are saying, you know, this is just not Lex. Lex has never acted like this. This is the Joker or the Riddler. And it is a much more kind of eccentric Lex, yes. who, who, who has all these thoughts flying through and he has his hands in the air and he's kind of working out things that, than maybe what some people have been used to seeing. And he is slightly different with his nervous quirks and he plays basketball and he's a younger guy and he runs an e-company and that sort of thing. But the, but the main thing, just like for me, Superman is hopeful and inspiring in this movie, even though everything is conspiring against him and he's in a dark place because he's disappointed in how people are viewing him and he doesn't really know how to go forward. And I've heard people say, well, that's not Superman. Superman never feels that way. Uh, same thing with Lex. I feel like the main thing about his personality is that 
he likes to manipulate other people to do what he wants them to do because that then proves to him that humanity and he himself can be a god among gods is mm. is can be better than what people think a lowly human can be and he masterfully he plays them like an organ yes in this movie and so when people say uh, i didn't see what you saw clearly we watched a different movie did you watch the same movie i did <laughs> i just don't even know where to go i don't i don't know what to say anymore you feel like superman <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Well, the movie has continued to do well at the box office regardless. Um, its global box office takings uh, earlier this week uh, were sitting just over $850 million worldwide, and um, that's now taken it past the lifetime earnings of the first Iron Man film and past earlier in the week the second Iron Man film. And uh, it's still in you know various markets across the world, Still in various theaters, and we'll probably reach nine hundred million. I, you know, it's kind of edging that way. But regardless, I, I think it's a success. I don't know how anyone, anyone could say that's a flop. Uh, it's still, you know, um, earned big, big money, and you know, is now uh, just sitting behind films like The Dark Knight Rises and The Dark Knight. Um, I think it's still behind Spider-Man Three, Avengers: Age of Ultron, The Avengers. But it's now, you know, well within, I think it's the seventh highest comic book movie of all time. So uh, you have to think of it, too, is it's the it's technically the second movie in this franchise, whereas a lot of the ones you mentioned are the eighth or the tenth. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it's been a month. And yes, it has dropped off drastically and disappointingly. So it didn't have the legs that you would want it to have. But I think part of that is obviously going to be the bad reviews. You know, Mm -hmm. I I talk to people every day. Have you seen that movie yet? Because I always wear my Superman gear, you know. Oh, yeah, I've seen it three times. I think it's great. Really? It's got bad reviews. You know, I haven't seen it. I I think I'm going to wait till video or whatever Uh, because of the bad reviews. You know, I never really I don't completely understand the the purpose of a movie reviewer or critic, if you will. I mean, the word critic derives from negative, derives from a person who has negative feelings about a subject, then expresses those feelings in a critiquing way, and therefore he is a critic. Uh, we have we have come to the point where we kind of use it as anybody who reviews a movie in any way is a movie critic. But critic is a negative connotated word to begin with, and certainly in the case of this movie – all they serve to do is have people not go, and I guess the job is to help the American people and people across the world not to spend their money on something that's crap. But who is one person or even a group of critics to decide whether another one person or group of people will like the movie? Mm, exactly. Very good point. So uh, that's where the box office is at this point in time. Um, you know, It's still there, so if you haven't seen it. And, and our poll was very interesting because... Uh, the majority of fans who participated in our poll said they'd only seen it once. That was 34% of people said they'd only seen it once. 30% had seen it twice. 12% had seen it three times. And then there was, you know, well, a couple of people who'd seen it eight or more times. And, um, and then there were 12% of people who hadn't even seen it yet. So mm. um, it's, uh, and that's a Superman fan site, not just general public. This is a Superman fan site. And there were 12% of Superman fans who hadn't seen the movie. Uh, I well, I think the other, I think the other issue is that there was a lot of consternation about how this was going to be from the beginning. Once mm. Batman was introduced, we are a Superman site, and people are kind of not Batman fans, but everyone else is kind of tired of 
Batman always taking center stage, and he technically does win in this movie, and he is the badass who beats everybody up. Uh, he's the bad guy as well, in my opinion, when mm. I watch the movie. He's the enemy. He's the villain. He's the obsessive freak who is willing to go to any lengths to murder someone in this movie. Uh, as much as they've talked about Superman not caring for the general public or allowing destruction or knowing people are dying but not doing anything directly to stop those people from dying while he's fighting major battles, uh, Batman is specifically setting out in this movie to murder someone, uh, and there's no other definition of murder than, than evil. Uh, but but he, I, 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 he's a human being, and, and he has been manipulated, and he's angry, and things have happened in his life. Another situation that we haven't seen yet that made him be what he has become. And Bat fans are right when they say that Batman's out of character and Zack Snyder doesn't understand Batman. Some Batman fans don't feel that way, but... The ones who do, I agree with you, but I also think there's a reason for it. I don't think Batman is out of character because that's the way Zack Snyder thinks he's always going to be or thinks he should be. Uh, but it's not completely against canon for Batman to do certain things once he's failed a number of times and thinks that there's got to be a way that he can do it so he doesn't keep failing the mm. way he has failed in the past. But uh, I, uh, I saw it three times, so I'm in the 12 percent range. <laughs> Uh, but I think that the movie itself had a lot – it was one of those things, and it seems like Zack Snyder has a penchant for this, where people were already at odds before the movie ever came out. So that's the other thing that influences critics. People were already ready not to like it, mm. already ready not to like the – I don't like the premise myself. I, I've said that over the last several years many, many times. I just don't like it. I don't like the idea that anybody can be brought down to a point where a guy in a bat suit can, can be – if it was Wonder Woman getting beaten up by Batman, it wouldn't matter. It just – it doesn't sit well with, with me, not because I'm not a Batman fan, but just because it doesn't make a lot of sense. And they did in this movie show it to make sense. It comes down to Superman not doing what he would have to do to put Batman down before he gets to a point where he's too weak to be able to do it anymore, mm. which is really the only way it makes sense and the only way it's going to work. Uh, but it still is disappointing, again, to kind of see Batman. You know, I was hoping for maybe a draw. I was hoping for a less clear victor. Fair enough. I can understand your, your feelings there. Now, uh, it does lead into the Justice League movie, as we've been saying, and they started filming uh, this earlier this month. Uh, the uh, Justice League first, I think it's part one. I don't know what the official title will be, but uh, it's now been filming in the UK. Uh, it uh, was at Leavesden Studios in Hertfordshire in the UK, in, in London, I guess. Uh, it's also been in Scotland uh, at the end of the schedule a bit, and in Iceland. And uh, there's also been some movement at the Kent Farm um, in the US where they've taken the boards off the windows there. There's a security guard, um, uh, you know, patrolling the site. Uh, so they're obviously trying to get some uh, movement there as far as filming some of the scenes, you know, what's happening with Clark Kent, uh, Martha, uh, what will happen with Superman returning. Um, I guess the Kent Farm will be involved in some capacity in the first Justice League film. Well, we've got an issue here now, and I think we talked about it a little bit last time, and that is what are they going to do with Clark Kent? Yes. Uh, they have uh, had a funeral for him, so at least everybody in Smallville uh, knows that he's dead. And uh, speaking of Smallville, this is an exclusive. Uh, it's not going to be anywhere else. I mean, it'll be everywhere once I make this announcement <laughs> because I have inside information that Justice League Part 1 is going to be entitled Justice League Part 1, Smallville Season 12. <laughs> 
Very uh, good. Yeah, see? Uh, so, um, and, 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 you know, a lot of fans are kind of upset that it seems like there's really no way out. And the interesting thing is, and I don't know if they did it to purposefully match what's kind of going on in the comics, but in the comics, he also is known the world over as Clark Kennan. So people are afraid now that that means there can't really be the dual characters of Clark Kent and Superman. And obviously we can't know until we see what happens, but mm. uh, it, it's a, it is a little bit disheartening, uh, but it could be a story that's told. I mean, he's still Clark. He just isn't going to be secret Clark anymore. Yeah, well, we don't know what's going to happen there as far as, you know, Superman will come back, but what will happen with Clark Kent uh, in the death of Superman comic books? Uh, he was announced dead in a Daily Planet um, obituary thing. Well, he was thing, announced but... missing. Right? No, no, no. There's, he was announced dead. Uh, in, and I saw, I got an image there. Uh, it was posted on uh, on Twitter. Um, let me just try to pull it up here while I'm talking. Um, there is a, an image. Uh, it says... Um, Readers of this paper, The Daily Planet, have been familiar with Kent's extraordinary work for years, writing about economics, pollution, justice, crime, education, politics, and the human condition. Kent's brilliance touched us all. Uh, Kent died. Clark Kent died while covering Doomsday's rampage through Metropolis. As a result, those who cared for him, Jonathan and Martha Kent, his parents, Lois Lane, his fiancée, Perry White, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Pete Ross, and this writer were gathered to pack up his belongings and close down his apartment. So um, he was announced as dead in the Daily Planet, but then was obviously um, just, you know, was brought back by the fact that they said he, he was presumed dead, but he was found under the rubble of a building or whatever it might have been. But yeah, he was actually written up as being dead in the comic books. Well, I think it was a lot of that where there were buildings collapsed and a lot of people were missing and a lot of people weren't found um, in real life, that happens sometimes, yes. and they and they they just eventually say, "Well, they must be dead because they're nowhere. We haven't yeah, seen we haven't them in weeks." Uh, but in this case, there was a body. There yes, was that's a the problem. Coffin. They buried him. <laughs> People saw him, uh, and there was a write up in the paper saying he was lost, not uh, necessarily uh, lost uh, in a in a technical sense, but actually dead. Yes. So, so was, did it look like an open coffin to you? Uh, well, yes. On Smallville, his body is there. She puts the uh, – or in Smallville, yes. um, his body is there. Martha walks over. Yes. And uh, you see a, bo- a body. You don't see – they don't show his face. But you know. Uh, I think you see his arms. He's kind of in a suit, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and she puts a picture of Jonathan in between his uh, – the way his arms are crossed. Right. Okay. So, yes, so there was uh, an open coffin there. Clark's not just missing in this movie universe. So, uh... And they would have no reason. Like you could say – well, they're going to keep it closed because what if Superman comes back? But Martha and Lois would have no reason to think he's dead. So they'd have no reason to go, well, let's close this up just in case because yeah. we don't want to show him dead. No, you know, but I'm saying they, the writers have decided to keep make it an open coffin. I mean, I don't know how, if open coffins are necessarily always the case in a lot of funerals. I mean, I've never been, and maybe it's just an Australian thing, and I also have a Lebanese background, but I've never been to a funeral where there's been an open open coffin, you can go for a viewing if you want as the family members, but right. um, I've never been to a funeral where there's been a, an open coffin. So well, that seems like a viewing, what's going on in the Kent right. house okay. before they take him outside. So maybe not everyone would have seen that, but certainly Lana and Pete, and mm. of course they already knew the secret anyway, and, and maybe all Smallville already knows. Um, so then so that would be less to explain if he comes back and... and and they use the same storyline from the comics where uh, he just wasn't found and in the rubble 
of the the disaster, you know, because at one point Perry says, "Where does he go? Yes. Where where does he go?" And and Clark's never seen again. So Clark went off to Gotham or wherever to follow this story, mm, and, and was, was possibly found. lost during the battle. So yep. if they didn't say in that article that there was a body, and if we don't know the world at large that there was a funeral with a body in Smallville, and why would we? Then perhaps that's the way they could go. Yeah. Now there has been some casting news for the upcoming Justice League film. Um, Interestingly, Willem Small Dafoe. Season twelve, you mean? Sorry, <laughs> Willem yeah, Dafoe. Yeah, well, we have one Spider-Man guy, Willem yeah, Dafoe. Now that's we right. have, and we also have the the uh, Commissioner Gordon being played by J. Jonah Jameson. That's right. Well, uh, Willem Dafoe is going to be. We don't know what his role is, but it'll be. Uh, he, they say he'll be joining the good guys this time around. So who knows? It could be High Father. Could be something along those lines. It, it could be anything. And as you say, uh, Jameson uh, is Commissioner Gordon. Uh, he played. Uh, I mean, sorry, what's the actor's name? <laughs> you, you threw me there. Uh, yeah, yeah, funny. I, like, all I can think of is J. Jonah Jameson now. But uh, his name is... Um, what's J. Jonah Jameson's name? <laughs> Simmons. J.K. Simmons. That's right. Yes, let's cut all that out. His name is J.K. Simmons, Steve. <laughs> yes, he'll be cast as Commissioner meat. Gordon. Meat, and basket of Christmas meat. It's the best I can do for you. <laughs> now, he said it's only a small role, so, you know, it doesn't seem to like it will be, uh, you know, anything. Uh, you mean uh, Commissioner Gordon? Yes, Commissioner Gordon is only a small role in the upcoming Justice League film, so um, we'll wait and see what happens there. But uh, obviously, Jason Momoa, Ezra Miller, Ray Fisher, Gal Gadot, Henry Cavill, Ben, ben Affleck, all in this movie, uh, playing the various Justice League members. And that will come out November 17th, 2017. Mm, it's not too far away. And uh, there was a, a picture released today of uh, Jason Momoa standing outside the Warner Brothers studios getting ready to film, I guess. So mm. that's some movement. Yeah, and Henry Cavill training, uh, back oh, yeah. in, you know, in doing heavy weights training. Uh, we also had the news that Fabian Wagner has joined the Justice League film as cinematographer. Um, I think it was uh, Fong was the Batman v Superman. Um, uh, Larry Fong was a cinematographer for Batman v Superman. Uh, but now Zack Snyder will be working with Fabian Wagner, uh, who, uh, if I'm just quickly having a look at his uh, previous roles, he's the popular um, cinematographer on popular HBO series Game of Thrones and Da Vinci's Demons. And so he'll be the cinematographer for Justice League Part 1. Cool. I love Game of Thrones, and it always looks great. I don't think that's a, an issue for Zack Snyder. He's usually pretty visually good, but yes. uh, it'll be interesting uh, to have a, a slight, I guess, slightly different look from with a new guy. So uh, interesting. Yeah. Now, uh, moving away from the live uh, action film, the Justice League versus Teen Titans animated movie is out now. It um, is... It was released on April 12th, uh, Blu-ray uh, combo pack, Blu-ray deluxe edition, uh, DVD. Uh, it's out there. I haven't seen it yet myself. I haven't purchased it, uh, but you can also get it on uh, downloaded on digital HD if you're so inclined. I don't think you've seen it yet either, have you, Scotty? I have not, but uh, my understanding is, and they, they seem to like to do this, in this movie, and we talked about this a little bit before, we already have the Teen Titans going against the Justice League, which to me seems like... <laughs> I don't know, a Little League baseball team going up against the best team in the actual majors. But uh, in this case, uh, we have Robin who saves Superman at one point in the story. Okay, yeah. Well, I haven't seen it, but I have heard that it's pretty good. A lot of fans saying, yeah, this is, you know, the the DC Universe of original animated movies 
is doing a great job, uh, people think. So um, let us know your thoughts if you've seen Justice League versus Teen Titans. We're only happy, too happy to hear your thoughts uh, and uh, reviews on uh, this animated film. Uh, and talking about animated films, there is a new Lego animated movie coming out. It follows the uh, recent uh, you know, Batman and DC uh, comics ones that have been out there. This one is called uh, Lego DC Comics Superheroes. Justice League Gotham City Breakout. And in this one, uh, when Batgirl and Nightwing take Batman on a trip down memory lane, literally, to visit one of the key mentors from his formative years, it's up to the Justice League to keep Gotham City crime-free. But neither situation proves to be a vacation, as the Bat Trio encounters old nemesis on their adventure, and the Justice League discovers just how busy Batman is on a regular basis. It's a um, brick-tastic battle on two fronts, as Batman, Batgirl, and Nightwing take on Bane and Deathstroke, while the Justice League, with some help from a few Teen Titans, fends off an assault by many of Batman's infamous adversaries to ensure Gotham City's safety. Mmm, that's a mouthful. <laughs> Tell me about it. It's released on July 12th, so April, May, June, July. So a couple of months away, and you can, uh, you'll soon be able to pre-order it from our online store. We'll let you know when that's available, but that's mm, Justice can't League wait. Gotham City Breakout. I love the uh, Lego animated movies, but they do seem to be very Batman-centric. They are indeed, and now we're going to see uh, just how uh, great Batman is once again because <laughs> the entire Justice League is going to have their arms tied because they're fighting some of Batman's enemies. <laughs> All right. Batman fights every day. Yeah, on his own. fine by himself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move into our TV discussion where... Um, before we get into Supergirl, and Supergirl season uh, has wrapped up now, the first season is all done and dusted, but we've received word that uh, Sci-Fi has picked up a pilot episode for the Krypton TV series. We'd heard about back in late 2015 that there was a possible new TV series called Krypton being developed by Man of Steel screenwriter David Goya. Uh, Sci-Fi has now ordered a pilot episode for the series, It'll be produced by Warner Horizon Television. Uh, Goya will write the pilot with Ian Goldberg. He'll executive produce it through his company Phantom 4 with Damien Kindler, who will serve as a showrunner. And Cole McCarthy is set to direct the pilot. Uh, we don't know much more than that. All we do know is that it takes place years before the Superman legend we know, when the House of El was shamed and ostracized. And this drama, uh, which is in development, uh, follows the Man of Steel's grandfather as he brings hope and equality to Krypton, during a planet in uh, turning a planet in disarray into one worthy of giving birth to the greatest superhero ever known. Mm, much rejoicing for me. Uh, I'm not. I don't. I don't have a great track record when it comes to sci-fi, but I uh, hope that this one's going to be good. Maybe this will be the one that starts taking them in a more serious uh, direction. And uh, hopefully, with these guys uh, as the as the creative team, they're not going to go the normal sci-fi cheese route mm. and uh we'll, and hopefully we'll see something great I'm, I'm i'm very happy that this has got a pilot order yeah it's good to see something different something within the superman universe um I, you know a lot of people praise what man of steel showed as far as krypton's past and the the, the vibrancy and and just sheer volume of information that was there for uh, the planet krypton so investigating that and and you know going into that in in more depth um, is is something interesting, you know? People go, ah, I don't want to. I'm not interested in that. Who cares? Superman's not in it. But for me, I'm, you know, anything Superman related, uh, I'm up for it. 
Yeah, and I like science fiction in general, and, and this is, of course, another planet, a planet uh, supposedly technologically much more advanced than our own, and and we're and we're going to see a scientist doing things, and, and so- sounds like he's fighting for equality and civil rights and that sort of thing, so there's plenty of drama there. Mm. And we're also, I assume, going to see uh, ships and guns and special kinds of um, uh, flying things and that sort of thing. So, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think... I think it has a lot of promise, and uh, the premise sounds uh, very interesting. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Yep, cool. Now moving into Supergirl, the final four episodes of uh, the season, oh, three episodes of the season, we uh, are due to discuss. Um, the big one for fans uh, was the crossover with The Flash, which was called World's Finest. It was episode 18 of the 20 episode first season, and while I enjoyed it and I thought it was great to see The Flash and I thought the chemistry between Melissa Benoist and Grant Gustin was absolutely fantastic, I thought it was a little bit cheesy. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was very light, which is which both TV shows are. But I just thought the whole the crowd coming to, you know, and turning for Supergirl and it was just kind of a bit, you know, finger down the back of the throat kind of, you know, just they, it just seemed too cheesy and uh, forced to me. Well, this is interesting because normally I'm on um, I'm, I'm on the opposite side. I'm, I'm I tend to be much more critical uh, than you uh, in terms of um, when we watch these things. And and from my point of view, I, I loved it. I uh, cried. I was emotional. I found it to be uh, awe inspiring as well as inspiring in general. I love the hopeful feel of it. I loved the way they came to their aid. Uh, you could say they've done that in Spider Man, haven't we seen that kind of thing enough? But it was very I, I loved it. I thought it was very nice to see. I thought it was great to see that the people were still on her side and uh, and i and I did love seeing the two of them together i uh, The only thing that I'm disappointed about is is that um, they're not in a shared world they are they are in separate universes but uh, I'm sure that doesn't stop Flash from appearing again, but uh, that means that um, you know, unless Flash brings the Arrow team with them, we're not going to see Arrow crossovers. We're not going to have Supergirl showing up in Star City or anything along those lines. But I really love the episode, and uh, I thought it was uh, very well done. Yeah, cool. Fair enough. I can understand. Now, the show itself is cheesier, and 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 Flash, I thought from the beginning, is extremely cheesy. A lot of people find that to be their favorite. And then I see those same people say that they hate Supergirl and it's terrible because it's so cheesy and the writing is bad. And, and to me, they feel very, very similar. And I like them both. Uh, Flash is the least favorite of mine. I like Arrow best. Uh, if we're not counting Supergirl, because Supergirl is a Superman family character, and I have, I am, I am somewhat biased toward that in general but i always liked arrow and then uh you know once i got into it and then when flash came on i love the flash but uh, i liked the 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 more grown-up kind of more serious feel uh that i was expecting and and this is a lot and as you say lighter and kind of cheesier and and more comical and and kind of not so serious and and so is supergirl and so when i hear people love flash best thing ever and then say, well, Supergirl deserves its bad ratings, and I hope a second season doesn't come. It just seems very odd to me because I, I, I found it to be very inspiring. And the other thing that's funny is that that Superman fans are Superman fans, right? So mm-hmm. you got you got these Superman fans who are so against what Zack Snyder is doing because it's too dark, 
and Superman's too serious and Superman never smiles and it's just not happy and, and, and it's too depressing. And then you got the same fans who don't like that, not liking Supergirl for being exactly what they're looking for. And that is the Donner version, which is cheesy and is bright and happy and is smiling all the time and is saving cats from trees, which is what Supergirl is doing. And yet they don't like that either. Then you get Superman Returns. And they go, we don't like that either. And that's kind of a continuation of the Donner films, which is what they were looking for. So I just don't <laughs> know happens. that there's ever a way that, that uh, I just like seeing all this stuff. Yeah. I'm not saying that any particular rendition is my favorite ever. I like I like all of it. And I like that we're getting it. And I like that there are different incarnations. And if you measure it up with the comic books through comic book history, there have been just as many incarnations of every character as there have been in film and more. Mm, for sure. So moving on from World's Finest, we had the other two episodes. And I'm guessing that uh, our uh, it looked to me like our uh, our old Supergirl shows up once again. Yep, we have uh, Myriad and Better Angels, which really form a two-part uh, finale and heavily involve Non and the character Indigo. Indigo. She's very much like that one X-Men character in the <laughs> X-Men movies, isn't she? Like, even the way she moves, she slides around uh, under doors and things and, and does uh, the, the fighting and the flipping people. And it almost seems like they were going for that feel there, uh, Mystique. Mm. So I'll talk about these as a two-parter episode, Myriad and Better Angels. I thought that... Um, this whole concept of Myriad taking over people's minds, you know, making the people of National City their own personal army, and that is Non and, and Indigo. Um, Indigo was manipulating Non a lot, and I thought he was a bit mindless, you know, especially after his wife has just died and seemed to be, you know, this Indigo character seemed to be seemed to kind of be a love relationship or sort of lust relationship between them. Wasn't sure about that. I didn't think that they were that villainous, if you like. Uh, Superman's mind being taken over by Myriad seemed to be a cop-out, a way to get him out of the way so that it's Supergirl's show. I understand that it's her show, but just say that he's off-planet. Don't say, you know, don't bring him in just to have his mind taken over because of the fact that, you know, he was here from when he was a baby and therefore he's more human-like than Supergirl who, Caro came here when she was 12 or whatever, and so therefore her mind's more Kryptonian and therefore not susceptible to Myriad. I just found that a bit awkward and... Um, and then even in the final episode, uh, Better Angels, where Superman was just there as a leg on the table. His body was just lying there next to John Jones. Um, that seemed odd just to have him there as like a mannequin. Um, and again, it's yes, it's Supergirl's show, but don't diminish the character of Superman so much um, to make her the, the star. Just get him out of the way. Just, you know, don't put him there as a, um, as a body lying on a table. It seems to diminish his character uh, at you know, at, you know, lifting up her character at his expense. I don't think that's necessary. I don't think they've ever done that in the Superman story. I mean, you know, they've always said that she's faster or better or you know more st or stronger than him, but she's just younger and so therefore isn't as mature as him or hasn't been doing this as long as him. But um, all in all, I thought the finale was well played out. I uh, I liked the interaction between the characters. Um, you know, the way that they came out of Myriad, all her friends and things. Uh, through hope, oh, I thought that was a little bit forced, a little bit cheesy, but that's, I guess, uh, you know, it's one of the complaints about the, se the series as a whole is that some of the, the, you know, the concepts are a little bit cheesy. Um, you know, I could understand, say, um, 
Alex and, and Jimmy or James, sorry, and um, uh, Wynn, you know, coming out of um, the myriad coma or whatever you want to call it because of their hope, their connection with Kara and, and the message that she was giving. But the fact that others came out at the same time as them just didn't really ring true. I thought they would probably come out a little bit earlier because of their connection to her and therefore the message had more meaning for them. But um, all in all, I thought it was well played out. It was you know, you know, good to see all the characters involved all having an input. You know, Maxwell Lord and, and Cat Grant, That you know, the earrings thing was a bit uh, off. I mean, would she just necessarily, you know, she just happened to be wearing them uh, when he gave them to her, which just happened to be you know, at the right time so that she also wasn't under the spell of Myriad. But uh, they all worked together. Um, it, it, you know, the ending was, was really cool, you know, them all being there, just having a party together and, you know, being thankful for each other's relationship and felt like it could have been a series ending, as a, you know, uh, as has been said. But, um, you know, uh, the pod at the end, uh, the spaceship coming down, who's in it, we just don't know. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it was a fitting end and, uh, I enjoyed the series as a whole, the season as a whole. So that was the finale for Supergirl, and we don't know if there will be a season two. There's been a lot of talk with uh, Andrew Kreisberg doing interviews, talking about where they plan to go with season two, and um, you know the way it ended, and you know what's you know what's happening there, and um, who will be involved, and all that kind of stuff. But um, there's been no official announcement from CBS about a second season. We're hoping that comes to fruition. You know, they finished off leaving it open-ended. It almost felt like it could have been a series finale the way there was all the, you know, cheers and, you know, celebration and people coming together and all that kind of stuff. But then they had that ending where it obviously leads to something more. And um, so uh, you'd hope that they have uh, plans and, and, you know, approval for a second season. I'd hate for it to be like Lois and Clark season four, where you know there's the baby at the doorstep, but we never go any further than that. And so we hope that uh, Supergirl does get a second season. Uh, let's uh, keep our fingers crossed for an official announcement before too long. Well, I feel like myself that there's something going on behind closed doors because yeah. they have announced a lot of the freshman series have been coming back. Everybody's been reposting that Supergirl's got a second season because in that little blurb, it was that we plan on bringing all five freshman yeah. series back, but no specific names were announced and Supergirl definitely wasn't named. And the issue here is is that the ratings continue to drop. And they're much below what anything on one of the big four networks, uh, sometimes you say big three, would expect in order to keep a show on. But so are Gotham's. So they're keeping that on. I think it's still doing better than Supergirl at this point. Uh, the saving grace could be that it that Supergirl launched as the highest rated fall premiere of any fall premiere on any channel. So that was great, but it dropped off steadily after that. Now, maybe the cheese that people are talking about, scaling back a little bit, uh, the, the, the girl power theme, the I don't need Superman kind of thing. I'm not saying change the whole show, uh, but if it needs to be changed up a little bit, the problem is it might be too late. The people who tuned out already aren't necessarily going to tune back in to see if they got rid of the things that they didn't like. But what I propose and what I think could be going on now that we know that there's a much stronger connection between CW and CBS than I thought there was since they were able to have this crossover so quickly – is that uh, they're working on some sort of a contract that would bring it back on the CW, which to me, and from the beginning I said this, it would serve much better on that network. Mm, fair enough, too. 
it has the same feel as Arrow and, and Flash. It's filmed the same way. It has the same creative team. And it really belongs over there. Uh, it's got a niche audience, as those two shows do. Neither of those shows would survive on CBS either. Don't get yourself uh, thinking that those are sh- so hugely successful. They have three million viewers or whatever, which is never going to be enough on these big networks. And I said this at the beginning. I love all the shows, and I want them to stay on. I love Legends of Tomorrow. So I want to see keep seeing them. But when you put them in the wrong spot... It's not going to work. Sci-fi doesn't need to worry about ratings either, and that's why Krypton could work over there. They they don't get ratings on any of their stuff. Uh, but but these big networks, they need to rely on advertisers in order to keep these shows on. And Supergirl's an expensive show. So if they're not going to get it and, – and I like the effects on the CW shows. There's no reason why Supergirl can't go over there and thrive. So I'm wondering if we might see something like that. It might be unprecedented. I don't know that that's ever happened before. But uh, it might be a way to save the show and the cast and keep everybody working. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll wait and see if that's, if that's a possibility or not. And here in Australia, they're all Arrow, uh, The Flash, uh, DC, Legends of Tomorrow, and Supergirl are all in the same uh, Fox 8 channel. So um, yeah, it, uh, it's, you know, uh, see what happens. We'll wait and see if there's any official announcement or any move, anything like that. But let's move into our comic book talk. And it's been a much, much better month this month for the Superman titles, the Superman family of titles. Uh, they're all written by uh, Peter J. Tomasi, who has taken over uh, writing the books with this, what they're calling the Super League book. But in fact, a uh, Super League story, I should say, but in fact is really um, it's a disguise, that name has really disguised the fact that it's actually the final days of Superman story. Um, I think that's a, a more fitting title, and that's probably, they didn't announce it as such because of the fact, or they don't put on the covers as such because of the fact that it would give away what the story really is. And Superman is dying. Uh, everything that he's been through, in recent times, the you know the negative black thing that happens in the Justice League books, the kryptonite poisoning that he's had to put him through, self through to regain his powers, um, his battle with Rao, everything like that has been It's all uh, been the catalyst for the fact that he is slowly dying. It's the the the, the cell his his you know the atoms in his body, the cells are all breaking down. And he's only got so long to live. Uh, and he um, discovers all that in Superman number one and you know, goes through a number of tests uh, with Crypto uh, at the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, but doesn't let it, he's, he's not going to let it stop him. He's going he's gonna to go about his business. He's going to continue being Superman, saving as many people as he can. Uh, he informs Lana about you know, what's happening to him and uh, you know, asks her to, to you know, you know, kind of gives her his wishes for what you know how he'd like things to be to be wrapped up, but in Shanghai, in China, um, there's something going on with somebody stealing some information from everything that's happening. Um, you know, the, when in, with Vandal Savage, when he had the fortress, the JLA Tower, and uh, I think some other uh, ship all combined together uh, during that storyline, um, some of the information it was a bit of a a, a gap, if you like, a hole in the the Fortress of Solitude's um, firewall that allowed them to to download some information, and something's happening there in China that I'm guessing will lead to the new Superman book that uh, has a Chinese Superman. 
Yes, uh, I, I I guessed that that's where they were going based on the solicits and and that we've heard there's going to be an Asian Superman. Uh, I mean, I'm obviously I hope that doesn't mean that uh, this Superman's going to die and that's going to be it. Um, I, I have some ideas with the whole rebirth and the whole idea that the Lois and Clark book is ending and that those people are still present on the planet. Um, I don't know what Lois will do, but you know, what if they brought that Superman back into the into be Superman proper back on this Earth? Mm. I thought Superman fifty one was good. The interesting thing that I found is that we're not starting a new year, and yet we have the triangles yes. uh, present again, and and we had a one uh, start at the start of this story, which I, is going to tell you know tell us which book we need to read next and In how it's going to go, which which I always loved, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and, you know, you had to go to the – sometimes the end of the book before you saw the title. So you had to skip through to see if it was part two or – you know, because it would say it sometimes on the second page but sometimes at the end of the book. Yeah. It's always better when they have those numbers right on the cover. Exactly. And um, it, it seems likely that – and I, I mean having read the solicitations for upcoming months that the post-crisis Superman, pre-Flashpoint Superman – uh, that we've seen in the Superman Lois and Clark book uh, will indeed come uh, forward as uh, a Superman that will possibly be taking over uh, the new 52 Superman who looks set to perish in, in at the end of this storyline. It, it, it looks very like much likely that that's what will happen. Um, and it's uh, very interesting, this whole up, upcoming rebirth thing. But looking at Batman number 31, which is triangle number two in this um, final days Batman, of Superman, Superman. sorry, Batman, Superman, number 31, uh, which is the second part of the final days of Superman's story called Dark Discovery. Um, Superman informs Batman of the fact that he's dying and Batman's just, you know, frustrated. He's, he's not used to losing. He's not used to giving up and giving in and, and you know, not being able to find a solution. But, um, you know, Superman says, look, it's, it's done. It's, it, this, it is what it is. I just want to let you know kind of thing and, um, you know, uh, this is the way it is. And again, we see this other Superman, this other character that uh, seems to be having uh, an identity crisis, if you like, and I'm guessing it's the new Superman thing again. Uh, I'm not sure if he's Asian in the photo, or sorry, in the photo, in the artwork that we see. He doesn't seem to be in this book. Doesn't seem to be, but there is something going on with a new type of Superman or someone who's got the powers of Superman there but um a a fairly um interesting book this one with these chinese characters these what are they zhao zi or whatever they're yelling out um Mm. and um and at the end of it superman says he's going to try to find supergirl because he needs her to take over for him once he's gone yeah i like this uh i like because we haven't heard about Supergirl in a while since mm. her book was canceled. And it's interesting to see that she's still around somewhere. And even Superman doesn't seem to know where. Um, I will say that, and it's going to be interesting because uh, Superman fans can be a divisive bunch in terms of what they like, what they don't like. And a lot of these stories can have them on two separate sides on a regular basis. And I haven't loved the new 52 across the board. I haven't, but I I don't think it's because it was the new 52. I just think some of the writing was weak and some of the stories were weak. And it's not because it was a new launch or or new situation. I mean, Superman, in my opinion, has still been Superman. He's been a little more brash at times. He's younger, but, but he still stands for what Superman has always stand for. So for me, it's interesting. This is more depressing and more dark 
and more down than than Man of Steel was or Dawn of Justice was if it's if it comes to fruition that that the Superman that we have been reading about since the dawn of the new 52 actually dies and someone else has to come about who is not Superman. I mean, the point that he was once this is our world now has the new 52 people on it. So this guy has been Superman since the beginning of time, according to this retelling of this continuity. There is another Superman from another universe who was on another world that we used to read about in the 90s. But this Superman now dying from some sort of a sickness, we don't know. We haven't seen the end of it. But if he ends up dead, to me, that just seems like, and I'm with Batman on it, just seems like a way not to go. And I know many fans are disappointed with the way Superman is in the new 52, but but do we but do we really need to see Superman die? Is that I mean, is that what people really I mean, yeah, that happened in Dawn of Justice and it happened in the Doomsday book. But but it, I don't know. I'm just I'm torn about that. Hmm. No, I understand that. It's it. It's like, yes, you know, the Superman we've been reading about in past months and things, you know, with the no powers and the T-shirt and the jeans and the ripped, you know, cape around his knuckles and stuff. It's kind of been hard to to follow or hard to um, you know be inspired by, but now that he's back and he's got his powers back, he seems to be more the kind of Superman we've been hoping to read about, and yet he's dying. And it's like, no, this is the Superman we wanted, kind of thing. And now you're pulling him away from us. Uh, it's it's a strange way to do it. But Peter J. Tomasi's writing, I think, is um, very much to um, you know at the at the um, center of that. I think he's kind of getting to the heart of Superman and, and kind of making us feel for this character. Where in the past, it's just kind of been hard to sympathize or relate to him because he's just been this guy who's wanting to be a wrestler and he's wanting to do this and he's been brutal and he's been going to the darkness and just kind of it was a very strange story that they were trying to tell that just didn't feel heroic in many aspects but uh the superman that we're reading about in the final days of superman saga and these even these these the three issues we're just currently talking about um are you know very much the superman that has the superman flavor if you like of stories that i like to read yeah i mean i agree but i also disagree a little bit on him not feeling like superman before i mean even when he was in the jeans and the boots i thought the storyline where the darkness did come but but he had the chain and he was standing in front of the people and the police were there and gassing them and fighting even though he knows he doesn't have powers and fighting even though he knows now that he could be killed much more easily and and uh, rebelling against Gordon and just going and doing it, even though Gordon was telling him we don't do things here that way and that sort of thing, was all very Superman. And that's why I said a lot of what people have complained about to me, and, and some of it is bad writing, I'll give you that. Some mm. of it is hasn't come across very well, and a lot of it is the idea that if we move, we move, you know, we take away the trunks, suddenly Superman's going to be cool. Mm. Suddenly, kids will like him because he's not wearing underwear. If we give him blue boots in the new relaunch, he'll be much cooler than he was when he had red boots. If we if we give him a collar, then he's badass, and now people will like him. Uh, it's all kind of. I just think ill-advised, ill-informed, uh, strange backward thinking, the idea that these changes need to be made in order to 
make Superman be cool. And part of that was making him more brash. Part of that was making him younger. Part of that was giving him more mistakes to make and then mm. having him get angry more often. And I've said before, Superman, much different than Batman, doesn't only fight on anger or vengeance. He he has a, a myriad of emotions. He gets sad. He gets depressed. He gets disappointed. He gets happy. He gets angry. He gets all of that stuff. So one of the best things about Superman to me is his humanity and the idea that all of those things he either suffers through or celebrates, whereas a lot of people will say, well, Batman, Superman doesn't get sad or doesn't get disappointed or doesn't ever feel like he wants to give up or anything like that. I mean, I know just from the history of reading them that that does happen. Uh, but some people have a vision of, of who Superman should be. And this new 52 Superman has never really met up with that. And that's OK to launch a, a new, more positive Superman or whatever it is they're going to do. And if they go back to the guy that's in Lois and Clark, it seems like and I don't think it's burning any doors down in terms of sales. Uh, I don't think any Superman book is or has in 20 years. But the Lois and Clark book seems to be much more well-received mm. by fans and therefore bringing him in to be the Superman proper. But the issue isn't so much that he couldn't be. It's that he's not. And it's it's that his Lois still exists. So the Lois on this world is never going to have a Superman. So – Wonder Woman is going to lose the one she's been in a relationship with and this new one's already in a relationship with Superman and the Lois that we've been reading about isn't the real Lois because they're bringing another Lois. If they do all this, mm. it just seems to be throwing more disarray and changing our characters even more because now, yeah, we have Lois and Clark back who we read about before who are in a relationship and who have a child, which is just another wrench that I don't love. The story is good when it's a set-aside story that's out of continuity like Red Sun or, or Dark Knight Returns or whatever. Uh, but it's very it's very strange to have duplicates of all these characters and, and, and somehow bring them in and have them be the new versions of those characters that we're going to read about in Earth proper. Mm, well, but I don't know. We don't it'll know. Be, it'll be interesting to see how it works out and how it plays out and how all those kinds of things um, you know, interact, how those kind of characters interact and what it all means for them all. But uh, we move now on to Action Comics number 51, which sees Superman finding Supergirl. Um, he comes that brash character out of Superman again, where he's telling the DEO to shut up, and he just you know grabs Supergirl, rips open their machines, and and abducts her from the DEO. He obviously thinks that they've been experimenting on her against her wishes, but uh, she wakes up and says, you know, what the hell are you doing? You know, I was uh, they were trying to help me. You know, um, my powers have kind of been fluctuating. I haven't you know necessarily. Uh, being at my best and you know, they're trying to work out what's going on and they're trying to, you know, they're helping me, which is interesting that they're bringing in the Supergirl TV aspects of Supergirl's relationship with the DEO that she's helped, you know, that they're working together in that. But, um, yeah. She went to National City. That was cool. Yeah, exactly. So, and then we also get the, the uh, continuation of those, um, that creature, Chinese creature heading back to China to inform uh, this woman who's been, you know, experimenting on everything Kryptonian and trying to, you know, download all this Kryptonian information, and uh, you know, she rips off the, or cuts off the hand of the creature to who's got Superman's DNA on its claws after it scratched him on the neck in the previous issue. But uh, we also get this strange guy who's rocking up the Daily Planet, calling himself Clark Kent when he's obviously not Clark Kent, and he's got some heat vision issues, and he's, um, you know. Uh, adamant that he's Clark Kent and then uh, burns these people alive when they tell them that he's, you know, and they don't believe him. And um, uh, 
Lois uh, tasers him and uh, is able to knock him out. And, um, you know, we have Superman telling, taking Supergirl to the fortress and explaining to her what's going on and, um, you know, telling her that she'll have to take over from him once he's gone. It's interesting because in the previous book, the guy that invades the Daily Planet uh, flies down and saves this kid or whatever, but mm. then he changes back and, and then throws the kid off the building. Uh, so it seems like he has a dual personality. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Yeah, to where he's the glowing Superman figure. He's a good guy and he saves people and that kind of thing. But when he's Clark or the non-powered version of himself, uh, he goes around and he has seems to have the ability to use some of the powers because he burned up those guys and mm. he was very violent in there. But he's not vulnerable and he can crash through a pigeon coop and, and be hurt and then Lois can tase him. So I'm not sure who he is, what's going on, and obviously we're going to find out as the story uh, goes. But it seems like uh, – it was almost – it reminded me a little bit – I actually thought he was the creeper at first because he had someone talking to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems like the good version of himself – or whatever version it is that that knows it's a bad idea to go into the Daily Planet is like uh, you're going to get us caught. We're going to go back to jail. Uh, so so there seems to be a a firestorm element to this character where there's someone stuck in his head, or there's another version that takes over when he becomes the Superman version. Uh, so I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what to think about this guy. Uh, I I like some of the interaction with Supergirl. Uh, I did think. As you say, it was out of character for Superman, although if he thought she was captured, she's been missing for a while. He doesn't know where she is, and now she's being tested on and seemingly unconscious in this chair. Uh, again, he can be run by his emotions, and he acted brashly but out of out of love for a family member. And uh, But then you immediately see zero understanding from Supergirl. She immediately attacks him, throws him off her. Grabs his arm, twists him around. She's 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 always been extremely violent right in the beginning, uh, hitting him, always wanting to fight with him. It's been that their relationship has been that way from the beginning, except when they're in a story with like L, and suddenly she just is going to show up and be Supergirl. When in normal, in most of the story she isn't, and in most of the story she's not helpful or cooperative or anything at all. Where they just kind of want to use her, she's there, and it seems like everybody gets along and everything's fine. But here we see the continuation of the bratty, kind of petulant, uh, I don't need anybody, uh, I don't want you around, I, I don't like you, that kind of thing, right off the bat without even you know uh, uh, understanding that he was trying to help her and he thought, I don't need your help, I don't need anybody's help. Hmm. Uh, it's just very – it's off-putting and it has been. So uh, from that standpoint, I can say the new 52 Supergirl has not done anything for me. At any point. Mm, no, fair enough. And the story will continue in Superman Wonder Woman number 28, uh, which will be the fourth part of this um, saga on the last days of Superman. All right. Uh, we kind of talked a little bit about Rebirth um, moving forward because of what's happening with Superman and what will happen with you know, the uh, pre-Flashpoint Superman and Lois and Clark and um, where things are going. There's been a lot of revelations from some from DC Comics about what Rebirth, what will happen with Rebirth. Uh, we know that the Superwoman title will actually have Lois Lane as Superwoman. Uh, there will be Super Sons, which will have Jonathan and uh, from the Lois and Clark book, who's gained powers. And um, there's a new Superman who, we, as we said, will be this Asian Superman 
um, who you know will gain Superman's powers, obviously through what's been happening in this story that we've just been talking about. Uh, Supergirl will be back. Uh, there'll be a new Supergirl book. Uh, there's just so much happening in the Rebirth events, up in com- upcoming events, uh, st- new titles, new things happening, a Trinity book, which will have Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. There'll be Justice League, which oh, Superman will be involved in. Uh, Justice League of America, I think, also is continuing. So a lot to look forward to. Um, Action Comics goes back to its old numbering, which will take it up to 950-something and it's all very exciting. I'm really looking forward to what hap- what's happening with Rebirth. I just think, it, you know, while it seems like on the on the surface of it that you know what happened, New Fifty Two was only 2011. It's only four or five years ago that the, all this kind of stuff, you know, we had a relaunch. Um, but I think from just from listening to fans and seeing what's going on, that there, and a shakeup was needed. Well, it's another desperation move. I think that they were desperate in 2011, and I think they're desperate now. I think the failure of the books, the sales going down, people not caring, people not liking what they're doing has caused them to make this new decision and and change things up again. And I I don't like any of what you just said (laughs) in terms of what's coming. I don't like Superwoman Lois Lane. I don't like Super Sons. I don't like how it looks. I don't like the idea of it. We're going to go back to the old Scotty B now where I said that I was going to be more positive before. Uh, Now I'm I'm critical again and I'm negative. Uh, Not to say I'm not going to check it out. But it makes no sense to me. There's no reason Lois Lane should have superpowers. There's no reason Superman should have a son that would have superpowers. There's actually no reason why an alien and a human being would even be able to have a kid. Uh, We haven't seen how that even occurred, but they have it. It's there. And now we're going to have Robin and Superman teaming up. Damien, which has been an unlikable character from the beginning, and uh, teaming up with Superboy, uh, boy, uh, I don't know, Jonathan, who has powers, again, a guy I don't need. If I have powers, I don't need you teaming up with me. Put your stick away and go home. <laughs> we did see uh, in the um, what was that saga that we had uh, where Convergence? Um, we saw Superman, Lois, and Clark have the baby. She was pregnant. You know, that's from the the post. Oh, that's true. That's yeah, right. I so that's that. yeah. <laughs> well, but... we didn't see him grow up. Now we're. 12 years in or whatever, and he's 12 years old, and I guess at the end of uh, Lois and Clark, he's going to emerge with powers because they're going to use that kid in Super Sons. Uh, so I guess, I mean, if, if, if we're in a world where an alien whose DNA and whose chemistry should be so different from a human being's that he wouldn't be able to have a baby with her, but we're going to say it's also a reality where people can fly and have superpowers – so we're going to say that he can have a baby with a human woman and he has a baby and he did have a baby and we saw it born and now it's grown up and he's going to get powers. Uh, then I guess we're just going to accept that and that's what's, what it's, what it's going to be. And I, I like the idea of younger books that might be, might be more interesting to new readers. You know, the whole thing about launching New 52 is getting new readers. I don't believe they got any new readers, and I think they lost a lot of old readers. So that's, again, the sense of desperation. And the idea of trying to get kids interested into reading, I think, is a very difficult sell to begin with. But I do like the idea of maybe trying to have kids that are, you know, that's what they did back in the day when they added Superboy, when they added sidekicks, when they added Bucky and stuff. It was all meant to try and interest 
kids because servicemen were the ones that were reading. And now that the war was over, they weren't reading them anymore. So they needed to try and get an influx of new readers, which they hoped would be kids. And I think back then there was so much less to do in the world that it kind of worked. And then those kids grew up and then read the adult characters and stuff. And then you had new kids who were reading the young characters. So I like that idea, but I don't know that it's going to work in terms of interesting kids these days to to read a comic book. Mm. And talking about trying to interest kids in becoming hip superhero fans, uh, the DC Superhero Girls uh, initiative is kicking into its second season. They've got Supergirl joining Superhero High uh, in the first episode of the second season, which is you can be found online at superherogirls.com. Uh, the first episode of the second season is called New Beginnings and it sees one woman appointed by uh, as school ambassador and she's try- taking the lead to try to recruit Supergirl to join Superhero High until a sneak attack from villainous Giganta catches her off guard. And uh, this episode, as I said, is online. You can check it out at Superman homepage, April 21st, or go to dcsuperherogirls.com. And it's good to see that there is an, is- an initiative that's continuing for young girls to be able to enjoy superheroes. Yeah, I mean, I hope they're watching them. I don't, I don't know how they track this kind of thing. I don't know how they know if it's popular. I know that the the other ones they were doing for a while, the the uh, super best friends forever, I thought were cool, but kind of went away real quick. And then they had little shorts of other superheroes on the Cartoon Network or whatever, and those mm-hmm. went away real quick. So I, I, maybe the internet is the way to go. I, I, who knows? But uh, I, I hope that the people that they want to watch this are watching. And uh, and and that they get they gain some young girls who can also be inspired by heroes that relate to them. Yeah, for sure. Now, before we move into the big question segment of our show, uh, the Superman celebration in Metropolis, Illinois, is coming up in June. Uh, head to supermancelebration.net if you want details on that. But uh, some of the special guests have been announced, and one of them is from the Supergirl TV series, and that is Peter Facinelli who plays um, Maxwell Lord on Supergirl. He'll be at the Superman celebration this year. He'll also be joined by John Schnepp and Holly Payne, who are the documentary makers of The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened. Uh, There'll be a number of artists and writers from the comic books uh, in Artist Alley and Writer's Way, including John Bogdanov um, and a couple of others. So... Superman Celebration is on from June 9th to June 12th in Metropolis, Illinois. As I said, head to supermancelebration.net for further details. Awesome. I like Peter Facinelli. I think that he is uh, – is the character of Maxwell Lord is obviously very Lex Luthor-like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's the Lex Luthor of the show, but I think he plays it well. I think he uh, he embodies that character in, 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 a, in a very cool way. Um, much more – in a, in a way that is much more like Lex Luthor than I would have expected Jesse Eisenberg to be and mm. that Jesse Eisenberg was. Uh, in terms of personality, those people I talked about earlier are right. Lex Luthor doesn't normally act in that fashion. Um, Peter Facinelli is much more like who you would think of as a Lex type of character. might not look like him, but the way he talks, the way he moves, the, the things he says, mm. the, the way he goes about his life. So uh, I, it's a character I, I've, I've enjoyed on the show. So a good guest uh, to be at the celebration. Yeah, and uh, we'll hope to, for more announcements in the coming weeks. All right, let's move into our big question segment of the show. Let's start with the big question. 
last month's big question was, what did you think of Batman v Superman? Dawn of Justice. And Donovan Hunter wrote, I liked it. I saw it twice opening weekend. I'm really looking forward to the ultimate cut. It was amazing seeing the Trinity on screen for the first time. The best way to see it is in IMAX. It's going to be interesting where they go from here. Now the wait begins for Justice League. I'm glad you both enjoyed the movie, Steve and Scotty. Well, thank you, Donovan. Uh, I appreciate you. your thoughts on the film. Bob Moorhead wrote in. He says, I'm not entirely certain what the critics were on about, but I'm pretty sure it's still illegal in most states. <laughs> the movie was amazing. For those who wonder why he wasn't a beacon of hope, did they miss it? When he went to Gotham to recruit Batman, not fight him, and held back during the battle. It was obvious to everyone but the obsessed Bruce that his heart wasn't in it. Taken down, he asked only that Bruce save his mother, the only reason he went to Gotham in the first place. This snaps Bruce out of his obsession, and the end, at the end of the Doomsday battle, Superman sacrifices himself to take out Doomsday. Me, I would have thrown the spear to the chick who obviously knew how to use one, but that's me. At the graveside, Bruce comes to ride out and tells us that Superman brought him back into the light, a fact proven when he declines to brand Lex. So, yeah, I thought Superman was very heroic in this film. I agree, Bob. Yeah, me too. An inspiring and a beacon of hope. He was, again, he was disappointed and in a dark place at times, but that never stopped him from doing the kinds of things that Superman is supposed to do. And as far as throwing the spear to Wonder Woman, yes, he could have done that. But I think, again, very Superman to just grab it up yourself and go get the job done as mm -hmm. opposed to saying, hey, let me stand back here while you do this. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what happened there. Christopher Miran wrote, I really like VVS. I really appreciate what they did here. I think I felt like I could relate to Superman because as a police officer, I know what it's like to try and do good, but to constantly be judged on how you should have done things better or here, where were you when I needed you? It was sad to see that it took Superman dying for the world to see he really was a hero. I think that this was a very accurate portrayal of how Superman might be in today's world, whether it's Reeve or Cavill. Good point. Thank you, Christopher. It make a very yes. good response. Uh, uh, points there in your response. And I don't think I've seen your name before, so very good to hear from you. Paul Mann wrote in. He said, Hi guys, I've only managed to see the film once, but as soon as it as it had finished, I was like, wow, I loved it. Henry continues to be a brilliant Superman. I was really imp impressed with Ben Affleck and the Batman character, as well as Wonder Woman, so I'm excited to see this DC universe to grow. I wasn't overly impressed with Lex Luthor, though, and found him to be just a tad annoying as opposed to evil or menacing or anything else. I'd normally associate with Lex. So for me, it was a 9 out of 10. Pretty good score. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Paul. Yes, good stuff. Uh, Giles Savin... Uh, I'm sorry. Giles Savagyar... Hmm. Is that how you say it? Savage? I don't know. Giles Savage Jr. wrote, You know, I did enjoy it quite a lot. Batflack is the best Batman since Adam West. Wonder Woman is so well portrayed. The Easter eggs were nice. I'm not sure about... How Superman is portrayed, though. Uh, all in all, I did like it and really think it's a good start for the DC Universe, but I do not understand why they don't mix the movie and the TVU. However, Captain America, the first Avenger, is still the best comic book movie for me. P.S. I want a Booster Gold movie, please. <laughs> Thank you, Giles. <laughs> uh, very interesting thoughts there. Um, yeah, I guess mixing the movies and the TV is just too confusing for some people. I don't know. I, I think they like to keep them separate. Well, they feel very different. Yes. You know, in order for those TV shows to mix in, they would they would have to go through some major alterations or the movies would have to. Mm. And, you know, as far as Captain America, I really wanted it 
to be great for me. I love a period piece. I, I love that they went back in time and the whole thing set back there. And for some reason, it I, I liked it better the second time, but it kind of fell flat for me, whereas Winter Soldier, I, I thought, was much, much better. Fair enough. Patrick O'Neill, our great sponsor, wrote in. He said, I love the movie. I was concerned about how Superman was going to be portrayed, but I was thrilled to see that Superman was absolutely the hero of the film, not Batman. I also felt that the movie Man of Steel was validated in this film because the public, by the end of Batman v Superman, finally sees Superman for the true hero that he was always he always has been. The end of Batman v Superman was heroic, sad, and triumphant all at the same time. The movie felt like Man of Steel 2 to me, but I'm hoping for another standalone Superman film. Thank you, Patrick. I agree. I think we need another Superman film. I do too. Ten more. Thirty more. <laughs> Guthrie McLean wrote, I wasn't completely happy. I liked the serious tone, but at the same time, it was a bit too serious. I had no issue with the editing. However, some scenes with Bruce dragged on too long. Superman barely spoke. This was supposed to be a Bats and Soups film, and they had 12 minutes of screen time together? I don't expect to see Superman suddenly die in Act 3. It's a Bat and Soups movie. I like every scene in the film, but ultimately the tone was slow and depressing. I'm worried about Justice League. Fair enough, Guthrie. I can't understand your concerns. Um, mm-hmm. I yeah, look, yes, it's a Superman Batman film, uh, you know, but I don't know about twelve minutes of screen time seemed like more than that. But um, yeah, it, interesting thoughts there. I don't necessarily agree on a, you know the depressing mood of it or anything like that. I thought uh, it was uh, quite uplifting at times. So um, I guess you know different people uh, see different things. Yeah, at times it was. What I was saying before is I think a lot of times when you have this kind of an epic gathering of the greatest heroes ever written to be on screen, uh, you expect to have cheering moments. And and, and aside from Wonder Woman, you know, at the end, there's no there's not a moment where you can clap or applaud or cheer. It almost would sound like you were cheering that Superman was dead, Mm. where it's very somber. It's very quiet. It's kind of down. You know, you have a down feeling when you leave the theater. And that's why I think a lot of people don't really know how they feel other than to feel negative because the movie feels so down to them. So then they review it or tell people it sucked, Superman's dead and that kind of stuff. And it just comes out in a negative way. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I I hope that your worries uh, are found to be unfounded, if that's a correct thing to say. Uh, And I hope Justice League and and the return of Superman and all that turns out to be everything that we want it to be. Yeah, now uh, Hector is the last response. He wrote in saying, I loved it. Ben was was good as Batman. Wonder Woman stole the show. She was awesome. Superman was great as always. Uh, It uh, dragged on a little bit, but overall I rated it 8 out of 10. Mm. Thank you, Hector. All right, Hector. The new big question for next month's show is, what did you think of season one of Supergirl? Yeah, let us know your thoughts now that the 20 episodes of the first season of Supergirl are done and dusted. We're happy to hear your thoughts in this new big question segment. Uh, You can get involved by using the big question button or clicking on the big question button found at the Superman homepage and sending us your entry. Uh, you can also record an audio answer if you want and send that to us as an MP3 file. All the instructions are found on the big question page at the Superman homepage. And we will read or play them all here on our next podcast next month. I'm laughing at you, you hear? Laughing! All right, and now it's time for the comedy sketch. What do you got? We have uh, another YouTube clip uh, and the audio from that. It's from Art Spear Entertainment. Uh, they've got a Batman v Superman trailer spoof, which uh, plays a bit on the first Do You Bleed type of trailer. 
Um, check it out on YouTube if you uh, want to. But uh, here is the audio from that, which works really well here for our podcast. Is it really surprising that the most powerful man in the world should be a figure of controversy? Put some clothes on! Tell me, do you bleed? No, I don't. Oh, I broke my leg. That's a lot of blood. Are you okay? I am now. I think they're really cute together, but I do think Batman is getting the better deal. We're talking about a relationship that challenges our own sense of political correctness. I mean, man and man, sure, but man and alien? Celebrity couples have a horrible track record of becoming corrupted. Absolutely. Kill me. Why is there kryptonite in your armory? What right do you have to go through my stuff? Don't change the subject. Why do you have this? Also, I'm not allowed to have any secrets. Every time I ask you about your past, all I get is a cryptic response. That's because I'm from Krypton. <sighs> Look, this isn't working. I think we need to spend some time apart. I may be the Man of Steel, but you just turned my heart to stone. <laughs> I'll call a builder, shall I, sir? What are you doing here? I told you nine months ago. That was the last time. Oh, no. Bruce, you have a son. How? Kryptonian men can give birth. I never mentioned that? Uh, no. I named him Batholomew Clarkson Wayne Kent. Dada! He has your eyes. Why does it have wings? I'm not a vampire. Yoo-hoo, Superman! It's been nine months. Why you not return my calls? Okay, so I have a bat fetish. Like you don't? Would you get out of here? This is my rooftop that I use for posing. I don't see your name on it. It's Wayne Tower. Oh. Well, in that case, I do see your name on it. In really large, ostentatious lettering. Yeah, well, when my parents died, they left me a billion-dollar empire, not a claustrophobic little plastic space egg. Hey, that space egg gets two million light-years to the gallon. So does my lawnmower. Okay, then, it's on. Batmower versus Super Space Egg. Dawn of weird contests, starring every character in the DC Universe. Kill me. Only one thing alive with less than four legs can hear this frequency, Superman, and that's you. Now it's time for our super secret soundbite. Last month's sound came from the final Justice League Unlimited animated episode titled Destroyer. And let's hear that sound again. That man won't quit as long as he can still draw a breath. None of my teammates will. Me? I've got a different problem. There it was. That was the sound. And nine people guessed it correctly. Who were they, Scotty? They were Guthrie McLean, Fred Walsh, David Huang, George Amaru, Jer, Donovan Hunter, Ishmael Perez, Orville Abaldo, and Patrick O'Neill. Awesome. Some new names again in there. Yes, excellent. Great to hear from you guys. Congratulations on guessing where that sound came from. Let's see if those people and more people can guess where in the world of Superman this new super secret soundbite comes from. Dear Principal Waller. 
Well, that was the sound. Do you know where it's from? If so, use the super secret soundbite entry form found at our webpage and send your entry in. Each person who guesses it right will have their name read out here on Radio KAL. And now it's time for the Superman song this month, which is So Long Superman by Firewater from their 1998 album, The Ponzi Scheme. And you can check them out on Facebook at facebook.com slash firewater music. Here's their song, So Long Superman.
Well, there you have it. That was the song from Firewater, and that is our show. Now, remember, if you uh, have some feedback for us, whether there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, a big question you'd like us to ask the fans, uh, if you've got a comedy sketch that you think we could use, a song you'd like to request, any of those kinds of ideas, anything you'd have about our show that you'd like to talk to us about, you can use the KAL feedback form found at the website, or you can send us an email. My email address is steve at supermanhomepage.com or you can contact Scotty. His email address is scotty at supermanhomepage.com and we'll endeavour to use those suggestions in a future show. But for now, that is our show for this month. Thank you, Scotty. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And remember, when you hear all this stuff, and I tend to drone on on some subjects, uh, Steve does a lot of work to come up with all these things. He does a lot of research, the comedy things people ask for, the the big question, the super secret soundbite, all that stuff. Me, uh, just like with my music, I just go in there and sing. I don't learn any instruments. I don't do any work. I just come in and say a few words. Well, maybe too many words, a lot. Uh, but uh, Steve's the man doing all the work. So, uh Thanks, everybody, for listening. Ah, thanks, Scotty. And remember, you've been listening to Radio KL, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com and our great sponsor, Patrick O'Neill.